Some days are terrible. You wish that you were dead, and some days are magical, like grape banana bread. Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads. The voices in our heads. Hello, everybody, and congratulations on not killing yourselves. Hey, how about you? We give a second and open this podcast with an opportunity to give yourself a pat on the back, huh? It's not easy. In fact, it's very hard to not kill yourself. And I really commend y'all because sometimes we get the sads and we're like, well, now I just want to die because we love those quick fixes, don't we? At least I do. You know, there's two kinds of people in this world. Only two. That's it. Two kinds. Uh, the kind that they're the kind of person that's sad that they're not going to be able to spend the holidays with their families and loved ones this year. And then the other kind of person is the one that is so fucking excited that they don't got to worry about stressing out and making mommy mad because you can't make him mad if you're not there. Because if everything he does makes him mad and makes him upset with you, you can't do that if you're not there. So I'm that kind. Welcome to the Voices in Our Heads. I'm Christina Marie Hutchinson, the voice in your head. I'm honored to be here, guys. If you're looking for some Christmas presents, look under your butthole. There it is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you, one of the things that I'm selling on my merch website is a custom video or Polaroid. No nudes, you pervs. It's in the fine print that you can buy um, for money if you want to. If you want to. If you're a fan and you have money and you want to buy one. I, I'll mail, I take it, obviously I take it, because it's a video of me, and I mail it to you, and I put a little stamp on it, and I have writing you a little note for the Polaroid, and if it's a video, I'll email it to you. But yeah, I think that's a good Christmas present. If somebody that you know is a fan of me, um, do it. Somebody uh, requested a Polaroid, and he was like, for his girlfriend, and he was like, um, you know, here's some facts about us, roast us if you want, do whatever. And I was like, ooh, artistic merit? I will take it. Thank you, sir. Thank you for serving me options. So um, one of the things he said was that she likes fucking him in the ass with a strap on. And I was like, uh, do I own a strap on? Yes, I do. Have I used it? Once. How far did it get into my ex-boyfriend's butthole? Mere inch. No, not even. Fucking quarter of an inch. And he was like, ow. I'm like, it's supposed to hurt. And I feel like I ruined the mood. Anyway, I took a picture of myself and uh, wearing a strap on with a little dildo on it, with a big dildo on it. And in front of my Christmas tree with Kevin. And that's what I sent to them. And I was like, from one strap-on fucker to another. I forget what I said. It was cute and witty. Anyway, my website is going to be in the description of this podcast. So you click on the merch tab and you can buy that for someone. And I'll mail it out. Uh, obviously, if it's a video, you'll get it before Christmas. But I'll work really hard to mail out the Polaroid and get it to you before Christmas. Because that's 100% profit because I don't do drop shipping on like a clothing item. So like I get all the profit. I'm trying to buy money. Trying to get money to buy my building. Also, you know, to donate and put back into this podcast. So if you want to do that, you can. I don't have, I do, I have one upcoming show. It's on the night of Christmas. December 25th. Is that how Santa talks? But what do you want, boys and girls? Snooty Santa. That's kind of funny. Um... 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Donna Guerreros and I wrote a play. Now, I, your girl, didn't grow up with any religion. There was people around me that were mad religious because we was in the South and I was not allowed to say God's name in vain in most of my friends' houses. And I was like, well, I don't understand that. If God's so great, why would he give a shit? You know, I feel like if I'm using God's name in vain, who the fuck am I? God made me. So why, can't, why would he get mad? But okay. So my religious experience as a kid was don't say God's name in vain in certain certain households, certain houses of my friends. Or they would tell my daddy and then I felt like I got in trouble. My dad was like, I don't really care about religion, but I guess don't say God's name in vain in this person's house or this person's house. And I was like, God damn it, dad, where's my freedom? He's like, you don't get freedom, kid. Welcome to earth. And I was like, touche, father. Touche, peppy. Christmas uh, night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Donna Guerreros and I wrote a nativity play. It's a modern day nativity play. There is a Jesus. It's got, there's going to be a lot of surprise appearances from people that you've seen on the TV. And that's all that matters is if you've seen them on the TV. We have some amazing folks attached to this. We're going to be doing a live reading of this nativity play. 
Because I was like, you know what? I love immersive theater, and I don't want to wait to have to buy my whole fucking building. So let's put on an immersive theater experience now. It's not really immersive in that uh, you can't interact with it. So I guess that's the wrong word. Fuck you, whatever. I'm doing a goddamn play. It's free. We Donna and I wrote this nativity play. It's uh, if you are the kind of person who will not allow a child to say God's name in vain in your house, this is not the show for you. Also, why are you listening to my podcast? God damn. So it's going to be really great. It's going to be free. I believe we're streaming it on YouTube, but follow me on social media because that's where I'm going to post all the info to watch it for free, motherfuckers. Uh, at Christina Hutch, K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A. If you can't spell it my na- by now, you don't fucking know me, and I don't know you. And then Donna and I are also doing something uh, digital on New Year's Eve. So um, more info on that later as it comes. I mean, God, New Year's Eve is not that far away. But get, let me figure out Christmas first. Just know that, that there's going to be something happening. So if you want to participate... You can. The New Year's Eve thing is going to be more interactive. This Christmas show is just going to be you watching a show, okay? Live. Live from New York. It's Christina. She tried out for SNL but didn't get it. So I'm reading a lot of books. As you know, I always read books. And I'm going to, I'm so excited about this chapter. We're covering from Daddy Burns' book, Feeling Great, later in this episode. It's going to be really good. I'm going to read big chunks of this chapter because uh, it's a common form of depression. And it tells you, he writes about these stories of patients he's worked with that really illustrate how you can tackle depression. And even if the person is completely hopeless and you're like, well, that guy will never feel better. Uh, 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 Not so fast, motherfucker. He will. One of the books I'm reading, an author that I am obsessed with, his name is Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he's a, he talks a lot about neuroscience and biochemistry, I'm making these words up, are these real words, is that what he talks about, who fucking knows, could I have looked it up before I told you it, yeah, did I, no, he talks about being addicted to stress, a lot of people talk about it, um, but I and I've heard that concept of you're addicted to stress. But the way he um, lays it out for you is makes me understand it. And I look around at the people in my life and at myself. I look in the mirror and I'm like, there you go. There's an addict, baby girl. I know I'm addicted to a lot of stuff. One of them, I'm pretty sure, is stress. And he talks about how, you know, there's endless possibilities in the universe. And there's this quantum field that scientists have discovered where there's endless possibilities. And basically, in a such a tiny little nutshell, I'm summarizing very scientific, just decades of research that this man has done. But you can pretty much channel your own genes to heal your body. Stress is a killer. We all know that because we all live in this life, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Um, But being addicted to the stress hormones is something that happens. You know, those people in your life who or maybe and maybe it's you. They always seem to be in these really dramatic situations or like every person they date is a fucking shit show. And you're like, should we tell him? Nah, he'll figure it out. And then the next person they date is a fucking shit show. And you're like, should we tell him now? No, let him figure it out on his end. Okay. And then the fourth person they date is just a shit show who shows up at their home unannounced. And we're like, I feel like we should tell him now, right? And all the friends are like, let him figure it out. I'm like, oh, learning lessons is hard. Either way, that kind of person is addicted to stress. They probably don't know it because most people do not know it. And I was looking up, I did look up one thing before I pressed the record button. The American Institute of Stress, um has a it's a website called stress.org Ooh, that's fun and here's some bullet points of like are you addicted to stress like these things could be it could be indicators that you are addicted to stress and i was like "Uh uh-oh i check off a lot of those boxes i didn't think i was addicted to stress because i stopped dating and i stopped putting myself in stressful situations but that's i didn't realize that i was putting myself in stressful situations in my home so here are some things from the american institute of stress to see if you're addicted do you thrive on tight deadlines yeah. Do you leave things until the last minute? I mean, yeah, it's the only time to do them. Do you have a difficult time doing nothing at all? I mean, I'm having a little bit less of a difficult time, but yeah. Does it take you a few days off to feel like you're on vacation? Well, I never feel like I'm on vacation. Do you spend much of your vacation time thinking about work? Well, yeah, it's because I love my work and my work is my life. And if I don't have my work, what am I have? I'm nothing. 
Do you constantly worry about what you might be missing? I mean, only every goddamn second of the day, but the Rona has provided me with a time where I do not experience FOMO because there's nothing to goddamn do. But without the Rona, yeah, I do. I have FOMO real bad. Do you feel stressed when you're disconnected to your cell phone or computer? That I don't have because I'm like, woo, fuck this shit. That being said, I'm reading these words from a computer. Do you find it difficult to turn your brain off at night to sleep? Well, that's why I got to have a goddamn three-hour night routine where I baby myself and take a hot bath and turn all the lights off and put some candles on and put some shamanic drumming on and meditate for a very long time in color so I can fucking relax. So, yeah. Do you feel as though there's never enough time to get the things to get things done? I mean, isn't that what's called living? Do you ever feel as though your work for the day is not enough? I mean, I feel that all the time. So those are some signs you might be addicted to stress. But when your addiction, your addiction to stress can trigger your cells to signal disease. That's why people say stress is the number one fucking thing that's going to murder you when you sleep. And, you know, a lot of Americans be dying because we goddamn stressed out because our country doesn't like us. I was looking at the corona numbers. Holy shit. If you look at them by country. <sighs> The Amer- America is number one, I guess. Well, congrats, daddy. Well, no, I will never call you daddy. Congrats, senor. That leads this country currently, but only for a few goddamn more hellish weeks. You have made us first place in coronavirus deaths. Didn't have to happen. I thought we had all this goddamn technology, huh? Guess not. Fucking dick. But your stress, yeah, if you're addicted to stress, it will trigger uh, your cells to have to get disease, to have diseases. It'll signal disease. Because if you're in fight or flight, that's a stressful situation. If you've had childhood trauma, chances are you have lived a lot of your life in fight or flight. And Joe Dispenza talks about how a lot of people, like 70%, which is way too many, live their life in fight or flight. That's a lot of energy. That your motherfucking insides got to do to make sure you either fighting or flighting. And you got to look around to see if you got fight or flight. Even if you just standing still smoking a cigarette outside your apartment building. So if you're always in that state, you got to get diseases and your legs going to fall off from the diabetes even if you didn't eat the goddamn donut. Fucking bitch. <laughs> you know, I haven't done this in a while and I need to laugh. So guys, let's do some fuck boy theater. Okay, let's do it. Do it, bitch. I did get an acting degree. It's a BFA. Mary Manhattan, thank you so much. So I'm going to read a conversation on a dating app between a woman and a fuck boy. Between a fuck. He's a fuck. He's a. You get it. So we're picking up in the middle of their conversation. Let me clear my throat, not into the microphone before I begin. But to answer your question, truthfully, I do like feet. Interesting. If you feel so inclined, question mark, to send you feet pics? Yeah. $75 per pic. Well, I'm not looking to be a sugar daddy, haha. A relationship with one who is open with it. You think I'm just going to send you free pics of my feet, LMFAL? <laughs> Yo, once chicks discover OnlyFans, it's like, you don't get anything for free. As you get to know me, yes, haha. Ha. I think I know you. You're pretty well already. You like feet, but you're cheap. <laughs> I'd say more. I like feet, but I want a genuine, meaningful relationship where I'm accepted and not just used for money. Greed's a nasty thing. Ha! Greed is a nasty thing. However, we live in a world where nothing is free anymore. And sometimes you got to do what you got to do to survive. And honey, if I'm showing you my beautiful little piggies, I'm going to need to see some bacon. It's just really that simple. <laughs> you should try OnlyFans, honey. Wave emoji. Ain't here to buy what I can see for free anywhere. I hope you find what you're looking for. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to go set up my OnlyFans account and take my business elsewhere. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. She gonna get her own small business, boo. 
Fuck out of here. First of all, you greedy little bitch. You're asking for feet pics before even really knowing the bitch. Ain't, ain't, that ain't cute. Guys who like feet fuck it up for themselves more than any other male with a specific fetish I have ever witnessed, okay? You just can't shut the... Shut the fuck up and you'll see her toes for free, bitch. Charm her. Get to know her. Okay? And then one day, it's gonna be warm outside and you're gonna go to the beach and guess what? She's gonna wear some flippy flappies. And then you can say, you have really beautiful... F- Whoa, you have... You have, it's sounds weird, but you have beautiful feet. And that's how you start it, you dumb fuck. If you want to see the feet, you gotta act like you don't want to see the feet. It's just how... Come on, guys. All that blood's going to your dick. And your eyes are on the prize that is the feet. And you can't see your way to the finish line. And it's like, guys, I see it so clearly. Woo the girl. Be kind. Be respectful. And then one day you go to the lake house and she's wearing flip-flops. You see her feet. Also, if feet pics are what you're after, look at porn. Porn. I wasn't going to plug that website because a lot of bad things happen there, even though I do watch porn on it and I need to figure that out. I'll figure it out. I got to find I got to pay for it. The first appointment I made for 2021, because I was like, oh, I put it something in my calendar for 2021. Obviously, I have therapy every Thursday. I feel like that's already in there. But that don't count. Is a microneedling appointment. <laughs> I'm like, if that ain't 30-year-old shit, I don't know what is. It really works, guys. My skin is fucking glowing, and yours isn't, because yours is a bag of poop, because you're just asking for feet pics prematurely. I also have a, I have a problem with Kevin's presence, because it's just, it's just going to be me and Kevin this year. And then we're doing that play on Zoom later in the evening. But, you know, for Christmas Day, it's just me and Kevin. So I'm like, well, I don't... I mean, I don't want to make this sad. It's not going to be sad. I'm actually excited because I'm like, oh, I'm I'm my own family. Holy shit, that's crazy. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna cook a bunch of stuff. So you have, if you guys have any recipes, ooh, send them to your girl. Send me some recipes of like good shit to cook. I don't eat beef or pork. It's I mean, I love animals. It's not because of that. It's because I'll throw up. I'll don't throw up. I'll projectile vomited in a Wawa bathroom the last time I ate pork tenderloin, and I was like, well, figured that wasn't gonna work well, and it didn't. So. Maybe next time I'll listen to my gut instead of going, fuck you, bitch. Fuck you, you bitch. You fucking gut-ass bitch. And then fast forward to me projectile vomiting in a wah I'm sorry, gut. That was real bad, huh? I should have listened to you. Thanks, gut. You're always my friend. I'll stop ignoring you now. A woman emailed me. I don't know if she emailed me or DM'd me. It doesn't matter. She was asking me about tips on meditation or apps I use. And I just wanted to repeat, just to repeat it. I cannot, I cannot, I'll never shut the fuck up about how great meditating is. And I, and I don't, I don't think I'm a better person than you for doing it, but I'm a better person compared to the person I was eight goddamn months ago. Okay. So I've seen a goddamn transformation. It's wild. If you just add one more second to your thought process before you talk or react, it, it's like, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to wildin' out, huh? Goddamn. I wish I knew that earlier, but hey, you live and you learn. I use 10% Happier and I use Headspace. I pay for both of those apps. They do not, I don't have any sponsors, so they're not sponsoring me. I think it's important to get unpaid recommendations from people, as I've said in the past. And by the way, I'm trying to get paid recommendations too, but only for companies that I really like, okay? But there'll be some time in the future. I use those apps, but I've been doing non-guided meditations lately where sometimes I'll just have to sit in silence in front of a candle, my fireplace, on my meditation classroom. Or I'll put on shamanic drumming and I'll just zen out. And I swear to God, this one Joe Dispenza book I'm reading, I tapped into the fifth dimension and I'm not even, I'm not even playing with you. It's wild. The, the meditation is basically like you figure out like all these magic tricks and you're like, oh shit, I could do that. It's really cool. And everybody should do it because the world we live in today, it's like fast, 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 get your quick fix, you know, and uh, meditation is meditation is is the opposite of that. And it's really nice to be happy when you're alone. I'm fine. I really am. But you can you can. there's also all kinds of meditation. You can meditate like these guided meditations. They have they have specific meditations that you can play for when you're walking, for when you're walking your dog, from when you're exercising, from when you're just kind of sitting there with your dick in your hand. 
And so, you know, if it seems intimidating or weird or squirmy and you don't want to do it, well, guess what? That means you should. <laughs> Sorry. And I also... um I also don't want to shape anybody's like, there's not one right way to do it, which is why I really love it. I say what works for me, but you, you get to find out what works specifically for you, Drew and Lisa and Nancy and Bobby. Yeah, I'm talking to you. It's, it's individual, which is great. And if, if there's anybody that you like follow online or read there and they're saying there's one way to do it, fuck them. You don't want to work. You don't want to, to, to tune them out. Okay. I love how all the apartments in New York City, I see this so much more often now. Everyone's got these weird-ass funky lights in their apartment. Like, if you look up at any high-rise, residential high-rise in the city, you'll see a bunch of windows that have, like, purple fucking rave lights. Because everyone's like, I'm bringing the party to my home because my home is the only place I can go. <laughs> um, It's funny. And I was like, I've been doing that since before the Rona. Ha ha. I'm ahead of my curve in time. Because time isn't real. And neither is money. We're all fake, guys. This is the video game. <laughs> Thank you for to everybody who's sending me requests or um, suggestions to put on the Feel Your Feelings January playlist. Holy fucking shit, you guys. Some of these songs you recommended, one of them was, oh, what was one of them called? And I was like, I cried. I looked at the title and I was like, well, I'm just going to put it on the playlist and I'm not going to listen to it because I can't do that right now. So if you'll excuse me. He, this guy said, he, he gave me a lot of, uh, oh, mama, you've been on my mind. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to, oh shit. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to that one, but I'll put it on my playlist. And when I'm ready, I'll put it on shuffle. And when that song comes up. Woo! My pussy gonna fall to the floor and all my eyeballs gonna fall out when I say all oh, I mean both because I only have two. Actually, I have a third eye and it'll never fall out. Fuck you. I just like some songs that you guys have recommended are just have gutted me. And it's exactly, I love this shit. Some, and some people recommended me songs and uh, two people said this and it stuck out to me because I was like, interesting. They're like, yeah, music isn't really what I listen to to get in like an emotional state. And I'm like, have you heard any of these goddamn songs? Jesus Christ. Because some of them, some of them I put on there because I, they're specific to a time and place and perhaps a person. So obviously I'm conjuring up personal memories, but some of them you just undeniably you're going to be like, oh God, I can't go on. But you can. So feel your feelings January. Uh, if you want to gear up to do it with me, there's no look. I put my own rules on it because I know me, okay? And you also know me, probably better than I know me in some aspects, but I know me, okay? So I, what I'm doing for Feel Your Feelings January is I want to get rid of all of the things that I do or most of the things or a lot of the things that I do to avoid feeling. That's why I call it Feel Your Feelings January. So for me, um, marijuana is something, it's not that it gets me to avoid feelings but when I smoke it at night it's just a wonderful way to relax frankly and it's not I don't think that's a bad thing I really like the amount of marijuana I consume like I'm good with it how I how much I smoke weed however I like doing this as a reset because that first joint back in February or at the end of January if you can't make it that far it's okay we're all working we're all trying we're all playing the game okay that first joint back you're like am I on Mars it's awesome (laughs) it's fucking awesome (laughs) And it's just, you know, using that time instead of smoking weed um, at night and then coloring or doing whatever, I'm doing these things in my, you know, with a present mind, with a very present mind. And that does not sound fun to me, y'all, but I just want to try it. So for me, I'm not going to smoke weed and I'm not going to drink and um, I'm going to weed out cigarettes. I was I was debating if I should say that out loud because sometimes when I say stuff and, I, and that automatically puts way too much pressure on it but i'm like nah i'm gonna say it see what happens i want to wean out cigarettes because cigarettes are something that i do that a lot of people do but i'm like ah i i wish i thought they were fucking the most disgusting things in the world some people are first of all you're kind of cunty about it and fuck you you know what i mean like if i'm smoking outside and someone's like they're not good for you i'm like oh you're not good for me wow thanks what are you einstein piece of shit we get run over by a car. No. That was the old me. The new me is like, thank you, sir. Wow, thank you. Mansplaining little bitch. 
but I don't. I I wish I thought they were grosser. So, but I do have Alan Carr's book to stop quitting. Somebody had uh, mailed it to me in my PO box. Oh, I still haven't responded to a lot of your letters, and I feel very guilty about that, guys. I'm so sorry. I will get to them at some point. I promise. Probably during Feel Your Feelings January, because I'll have a lot of time to do some shit, you know. But somebody um, mailed me the, the Alan Carr book. I had already had it. But they mailed it to me again and they wrote, they said, this is the only thing that got me to quit and it's the best thing I've ever could have done for myself. I'm like, well, goddamn. Oh, here's another thing, I guess. You could DM me or email me or tweet it at me or comment on the Instagram, whatever. Let me know. I'm curious. What? Because when I look this up online, it's like, your lungs are a black hole. I'm like, all right, yeah, I get that. I don't think they're healthy if you smoke. But what are the benefits, if you're listening to this and have quit smoking, what are the benefits that you've experienced that either surprised you or yeah surprised you or that were that were good what was good about it when you quit smoking obviously the obvious you know the hack not hacky ones because these are true you don't smell like cigarettes anymore i don't smoke that much that i reek of cigarettes i maybe smoke three cigarettes a day four a day um compared to the pack of dares but i i used to use that as a it's okay then (laughs) you know don't but what were some you know, benefits? I'm not worried about the smelling like smoke because I already have a routine where I don't smoke near anybody and I p- put a glove on and I have my hand. So I'm not, that, I don't really care about that. I mean, I don't want to smell like smoke, of course, but that's not one of the ones that's going to sell me. Do you know what I'm saying? What are the other ones? For me, I'm hoping that my voice is better, my singing voice, because one of the things I want to do for Feel Your Feelings January is I want to post videos of me singing and playing piano. I've been rehearsing, y'all. Have I been rehearsing? And so my upper register has actually started to come back, and I've not quit. Um, but I want it. I want to be able to go, oh, but like more clear, because that is that's not nearly as clear as I could usually go with like an operatic voice. Not that I'm trying to sing opera, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I want my voice. To, I want my vocal cords to be healthy. If you if you listen back to some of the first episodes of Guys We Fucked, my voice. <laughs> My voice is so much higher than it is now. I'm like, hi guys, how you doing? Welcome to our podcast. We're so excited. I hope this goes well. I hope people listen to it. No one's gonna listen to it. Ha ha. Lo and behold. Uh, one more story before I get into this fucking book. So my friend who I met through Donna, my girl Donna, who's a nurse, her friend Diane, who's also a nurse, um, and is just a lovely, lovely human being. Um, we've been doing healings. I actually have a thing with her at, right after I record this. Um, she gets these crystals from Brazil. And y'all know I love my goddamn rocks. I squeeze them and I hold them real tight against my titties. So she was like, oh, I want to give you these two stones from Brazil. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I met her at a Starbucks by my house. And then I went home and I got them and I put them in my bra. It's the first thing I did. I put them in my bra. And I was about to do a creativity meditation because Donna and I were going to uh, have like a five-hour Zoom to write the script for the nativity play. And so I have my the rock she gave me in my bra. And I went downstairs and I was like, or I went, before I went downstairs, I was like, I'm going to go and get some more rocks just to say, you know, just to have them. You never know. If you believe shit, then it's true. Because we're all living our own goddamn video game. So I went to go downstairs in socks that I had purchased recently and hadn't washed yet. I got wooden stairs, okay? Well, wouldn't you believe I was going downstairs? And then, boy, did Tina take a tumble. I fucking fell. I wouldn't say fall. First, I went up, okay? And what goes up? Thank you, Three Dog Night Must Come Down. Is that that song? Who knows? Well, fuck you, I don't care. I went up and then I landed on my left side on that goddamn staircase. And when I tell you, I cried like a little bitch. I mean, picture one of my favorite Instagram accounts, kids getting hurt because their reaction is so funny because a lot of times they're jarred by the thing. They're scared by the thing that just happened to them. And it's the physical pain. But a lot of the times that... <laughs> like that the, I'm talking guttural crying like a toddler crying it's terrified toddler I, I I fell on my step I went up and then I went down on the steps on my left side and the 
the I, I went to grab onto the railing because I do have a railing. And you're like probably thinking to yourself, Christina, well, didn't you use the railing to help your fall? You know, I tried that. But because I'm me, my railing was covered in flower vines that I purchased off goddamn Amazon. And so those flower vines are slippery. So when you go, <laughs> so I fell up and I fell down. I went to grab the railing and I slipped. And so I just the rest of the way down the goddamn stairs. Tina took a tumble, y'all. Tina took a tumble. And I crawled to my bed and I my mouth was wide open. I was drooling and I was like, oh my God! Ah! Screaming. And then I started laughing. Oh my God. I was laughing about that shit. I was crying so hard from laughing so hard at that tumble I just took and how I had to go back up the stairs. Holy shit. I've lived in this apartment for 10 years. I've fallen down the steps twice. That last time, the other day, that was the second time. The first time was when I was living with my ex-boyfriend and I was going to his office and I and I fell down and I cried like a child. And he was like, oh no, are you okay? And then that made me cry more because you know when the kid looks around for the adult's reaction and if the adult seems scared or like, oh no, then that informs your reaction. That's exactly what happened. Because he was very loving and like, holy shit, are you okay, Christina? And I was like, I'm not okay. Ah! I'm an independent woman, y'all. Throw my goddamn self down the stairs. Fuck you. I don't need no man to throw me down the stairs. I do my goddamn self. Now try to grab on the railing and then the flower vines are like, ha ha, bitch. Fuck you. So, touche stairs. Touche. Stairs one. Christina. All right, let's get into this book, y'all. I'm trying to make it under an hour. Let's see if I can do it. I don't want to take up too much of your precious goddamn time. So this chapter we're going to focus on, it's chapter 16. And it's about a cognitive distortion called fortune telling. And the specific chapter we're working on is going to be uh, in regard fortune telling in regards to depression. Because next week we're going to do fortune telling in regards to anxiety, which all of us feel, especially your girl. But I think... This cognitive distortion as it relates to depression is probably, and and the author says this, one of the biggest causes in depression in most people. And the stories that he outlines with these clients he's working with, I'm like, oh, God damn, Daddy Burns. Okay, I can get on board with that. Because you're like, is she going to get better? I feel like she's not. And then lo and behold, she fucking does. Spoiler alert. You're in control of your own destiny, bitches. So let's get into it. Fortune-telling, hopelessness. Fortune-telling accounts for a great deal, arguably most, of the depression and anxiety in the world. It's really easy to get fooled by this deceptive distortion. And uh, this one we're going to focus on, depression. Fortune-telling involves drastic and upsetting predictions that aren't necessarily based on real evidence. I would gather to say they're not. For example, if you're depressed and feeling hopeless... Then you tell yourself that things will never change and that you'll never recover or improve. I'm looking at this Eeyore mug that I got when I was a little kid because I was so obsessed with Eeyore. Did one of my parents have depression, you think? Probably. Or if you're anxious, you tell yourself that something bad is about to happen. There's a positive version of fortune telling, too. You tell yourself without convincing evidence that everything is going to turn out great. (laughs) That's me. Because it is if you want it to. It will turn out great with that attitude, Daddy Burns. Goddamn. Don't take the wind out of my sail, bitch. For example, when you put a dollar in the slot machine, you may feel excited because you tell yourself that this is your lucky day and that you're about to hit the jackpot. That's me every time I buy the crossword scratch-off lot tickets, y'all. I was like, this is my day. I'm gonna buy my building with these scratch-offs. <laughs> All right, tomorrow's my day. I'm gonna buy these buildings with my new scratch-offs. Two weeks later. No, this is my day, really, actually, because I'm going to get scratch-offs and I'm going to buy my building. But after pouring every dollar in dollar after dollar, you discover that your glowing prediction felt great but wasn't necessarily accurate. bum 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 Of course, there's nothing wrong with a positive outlook in life. Well, thank you. In fact, optimism can trigger hard work, creativity, and invention. Well, thank you. Edison told himself, that his inventions would change the world. This gave him enormous motivation and energy, and his predictions turned out to be right. Manifest destiny, motherfucker! But overly optimistic predictions... 
This seems personal. Can lead to huge financial losses, as well as mania. Oops. Impulsive acts. Why did I do that? Criminal behavior. Why did I do that? Addictions. Oh. Relationship conflicts and even violence. Oh, that sucks. To help me illustrate how easy it is to get fooled by fortune telling, let me introduce you to Benny, a violent and suicidal gang member who once attended a cognitive therapy group I was leading at my hospital in Philadelphia. Ooh, is Benny single? Prior to the group, the nurses had warned me that Benny was a local drug dealer and gang member and that he had just been admitted for suicidal depression, but he had also had a diagnosis of intermittent explosive disorder. This was just a polite way of saying that he liked to beat people up. <laughs> You're funny, Daddy Burns. The nurses cautioned me that he was dangerous and warned me not to confront him during the group. Although Benny, Benny had been well behaved so far, they said he could explode violently if provoked. I assured them that I would not confront Benny. Woohoo! At the start of the group, about a dozen patients were seated in a circle, and there was a young, muscle-bound fellow. Oh, Benny. Yo, I want to fuck Benny. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Covered with tattoos, pacing behind the chairs. He looked angry and threatening. And he was wearing a t-shirt with his cigarette pack rolled up in his left sleeve. Mm, I'll tolerate that for just one month before I quit. I figured, uh, I figured it was Benny and asked if he wanted to join us and sit in one of the chairs in the circle. He scowled and said he wasn't about to sit in one of those, quote, goddamn fucking chairs and wanted to know what I intended to do about it. Oh, well, never mind, sir. You're good. I was on the spot and all the patients were staring at me as if to say, what's that young doctor going to do? The group had only been going on for one minute and I was already in a power struggle with Benny. Yikes. My thoughts were spinning. How could I reply? I said, you know, Benny, we have just one rule here. I got the willies because I was like, Doc, you're going to get your shit kicked out of you. And that is that you must sit in one of the chairs during the group or stand and pace about or both. And if you stand and pace about, then you have to hear, be, stay here in the room so you can hear what's going on or out in the hall or both. As long as you obey that rule, Benny, we'll get along just fine. And I was like, God damn it, Daddy Burns, you tricked him because basically he told me he could do whatever you want, but you disguised it as if he had to follow the rules. But really, the rules were like he could do whatever we want. And that's how you get your power back, y'all. So next time you're in a relationship, you'd be like, you could cheat on me. You could fuck my sister. You could do whatever you want. And then it'll be a great relationship. Just kidding. That's not the advice he's giving. <clears throat> anyway. This seemed to silence him, but he would not sit down and continued to pace and angrily about angrily staring at me with a scowl. Then I asked patients to tell me their scores on depression and anxiety and anger tests in their workshops so I could record them in my data sheet and see how each patient was doing. When I got to Benny, he said his scores were none of my fucking business. Another confrontation. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Can you imagine? Daddy Burns and a fucking drug lord head toe to toe. You're brave, Doc. You're brave. I thought Benny might feel embarrassed to have to admit that he was depressed, so I offered to look at his workbook and record his scores for him. That way, he wouldn't have to say his scores out loud. He said if I tried to look in his workbook, it would be the last thing I ever did. Message received, boy. I love a man who's direct. I was frightened and backed off immediately and pushed ahead with the group, which was on topic of the topic of self-esteem. I explained that self-esteem has to be con unconditional and that you can't earn self-esteem through status or achievements by being loved or in any other way. It is a gift you decide to give to yourself. An act of self-love. Yup. Already read the six parts of self-esteem, bitch. I know. I also explained that the negative thoughts that rob us of self-esteem are always distorted and illogical. And I emphasize that depression and low self-esteem are ways we con ourselves into believing that we aren't good enough. Because you know how you feel your thoughts and feelings aren't facts, but they are clues, motherfucker. When you're depressed like that, it's just a goddamn negative loop like dating my ex hey but I'm I wish him well I also ex uh, explained that negative thoughts rob us of self-esteem are always oh it's a sort of illogical blah 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 okay so I asked people in the group to talk about times they felt a loss of self-esteem group members were getting very emotional and many were crying I thought to myself oh this is a terrific group they're really getting it and opening up then out of the blue Benny started shouting I'll do a Benny voice. Doc, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about... Oh, wait. Oh, he's from Philly. Doc, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about self-esteem and all the things you have to do to be worthwhile. That's not threatening enough. You have to be a good little boy and follow all the rules and do what you're told. As far as I'm concerned, Doc, you could take your self-esteem and stick it up your fucking ass. Again, still want to date Benny. All the patients were staring at me, and I was on the spot again. I thought, there he goes, having to be the center of attention and ruining everything again. But instead, I said, well, that's good that you didn't say that part because you would have died. 
Benny, I think we're on the same page. In fact, that's the exact point I was trying to make. You can't earn self-esteem by following the rules, by being a good little boy or having lots of money or status or success. No amount of achievement or love can give you self-esteem. It has to be unconditional. You seem to know this stuff already. You could almost be my assistant and help me teach this group today. In fact, what I'm teaching today is based on teachings of Buddha who taught us that there's no such thing as self-esteem. It's just a marketing term. And there's no such thing as a self either. Thinking you have a self is just another trap. I'm amazed. You know all this stuff. Tell me, were you raised as a Buddhist? He said, I'm no fucking Buddhist. I'm in the fucking mafia if you want to know the truth. Mm, Still want to date Benny. I told him that was really interesting because the mafia and Buddhism were very similar concepts. At that point, Benny got excited and plunged into the circle of chairs. He sat down in the chair in the middle of that I had been uh, been using for role playing and said defiantly, quote, well, if you think you're so smart, let's see if you can prove that my negative thought is wrong. I told Benny I would be happy to do so and asked what it was. He replied, Doc, I'm a hopeless case, and there's nothing you can do about it. Of course, that's a classic example of fortune telling mixed with a big dose of defiance. Benny was telling himself that recovery was impossible, and he felt absolutely certain that this was true. In fact, that's why he got suicidal and had to be admitted to our hospital. I wrote his negative thought on the flip chart in the front of the room and asked myself what techniques would be effective. Since Benny was clearly oppositional and trying to bust me, I realized that trying to disprove his belief would not work. He would just defeat me by yes-butting me and insisting that he really was hopeless. I decided to try a paradoxical cost-benefit analysis instead, since this technique zeroes in on therapeutic resistance or stuckness. Remember when we are talking about why we get stuck? Well, here's an example of it. Uh, paradoxical cost-benefit analysis. Okay, to do this with Benny, I started by drawing a vertical line down the middle of the flip chart right under the thought, quote, I am a hopeless case. I then labeled the left column advantages and the right column disadvantages. I asked Benny, uh, I told Benny I could easily show him his negative thought was distorted and not really true, but it wouldn't do any good if he wanted to believe that thought. I also mentioned that there were actually a ton of advantages or benefits of him t- of telling himself that he was a hopeless case. And I wondered if we could list them off before we tried challenging that thought. Benny seemed taken aback and said, Doc, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I flunked out of every drug abuse program in Philadelphia and some of them two or three times. No one has been able to help me. And I'll tell you this, Doc, I'll be dead in two years. You can count on it. So you can put that in your disadvantages column. So I put dead in two years in the disadvantages column then i turned to the group uh to another group member and and i said there are lots of advantages of benny telling himself that he's hopeless what are they they started coming up with all kinds of advantages like if benny tells himself he's hopeless then he won't have to do any hard work like the rest of us like writing down our negative thoughts and learning about uh the distortions that's a really good one he can take all the drugs and get high all day long I said, Benny, that's huge. Oh, I guess Benny said that. Did I skip a page? No, Benny said that. I said, Benny, that's huge. I've heard that you're a drug dealer and have some of the best cocaine and heroin in Philadelphia. I've never had cocaine or heroin even once, but I've heard it's a terrific high. So if you tell yourself you're hopeless, then you can get stoned all the time. (laughs) I love your thinking, Doc. The other patients in the group came up with even more advantages. If he says he's hopeless, then he can't fail. It will protect him from disappointment. And that, you know, your girl relates to, all y'all probably relate to. Because if you say you're hopeless, that means you won't be disappointed. And it's really hard to deal with being disappointed in yourself. Another advantage is he's very important and gets lots of attention. That's something another group member said. And then I said, this is Daddy Burns. That's right, Benny, you are very important. Even before the group, nurses told me about you and said, don't confront Benny. Be careful with Benny. He's the big man in the neighborhood. He's very dangerous. You're by far the most important person in this room. And you are getting a lot of attention, too. In fact, you're sitting right in the middle of the circle. Benny seemed to like that comment. All you got to do to puff up a guy's ego is compliment him. And a woman, too. The group continued listing advantages of Benny's hopelessness. They came up with several, including the fact that he could intimidate people he didn't like. That he was a very power that he was very powerful, and then he made a ton of money from drug dealing and didn't have to pay income tax, like our president. Then Benny got into into it and suggested other advantage. 
He got laid a lot. I pointed out that was another huge benefit of being a handsome bad boy. And I was so glad that Daddy Burns got that. I was like, oh, shit, boo, you cool. At that point, I said, Benny, you're actually a cultural icon. You remind me of James Dean with your motorcycle and black leather jacket. You don't have to follow the rules. You make the rules. Goddamn right. You're as free as the breeze and you do whatever you want whenever you want. In fact, you're the kind of man I've always wanted to be. Well, I'm glad you decided to be the other kind of man, Daddy Burns, because I need this book. If you look on the next page, you could see how the cross-benefit analysis looked. And it's just a graph with the columns of I'm a hopeless case. The advantage, disadvantages is dead in two years. And the advantages is everything that we, we talked about. No work. It's easy. I can get stoned all the time. Blah, blah, blah. If you noticed, I ignored the disadvantages of Benny's negative thought when going through this paradoxical cost-benefit analysis. That's because listing disadvantages would have simply invited a battle. Instead, I said, Benny, I'm noticing that the advantages of telling yourself that you're hopeless include pretty much all the best things in life. Easy money, no tax, an unlimited supply of sex and drugs, not having to work or obey the rules, prestige, power, euphoria, freedom, and adulation, to mention a few. So now I'm confused. Ten minutes ago, you asked for help disproving your belief that you're a hopeless case. But look at all the benefits of that belief. Why in the world would you want to give all that up it makes no sense it seems like you've got a pretty good thing going at that moment i was no longer dr burns or daddy burns i was benny i'd become the voice of his resistance and rebelliousness and i was no longer trying to help or save him in fact at that moment i really could not see any reason for him to change i was no longer the shrink i was benny benny suddenly softened for the first time and said doc you read me like a book Paradoxically, the very moment you suddenly see why a patient should not change, the resistance almost always disappears. But this requires the death of the therapist's ego or, you know, a friend or your own or whatever. The therapist has to die for a moment and give up the traditional role of expert or helper. Benny was quiet for a moment and asked if he could talk about something that had happened to him when he was a little boy, something he had never talked about before. I told him we'd be eager to hear anything he had to say. Benny described how much he had loved his grandfather when he was a little boy. He explained that his grandfather was the only one who would talk to him and spend time with him. He said his grandfather was a lot like him and explained that his grandfather also went into dark depression and was involved in the same line of work, drug dealing. He said that one day his grandfather was talking in a very dark way, complaining that he had a problem with the family and that there was no way out. Benny said this scared him because his grandfather had a sawed-off shotgun in his lap. Benny then explained how his grandfather put the barrel of the gun in his mouth, pulled the trigger, and blew his head off. Benny began sobbing uncontrollably. Tears were coming down most group members' cheeks. After a few minutes, Benny pulled himself together and asked, Doc, do you remember when I wouldn't let you see my mood test scores earlier in the group? It's because I can't fucking read or write. And I didn't want the other group members to see that about me because I'm so ashamed. Then he began sobbing again. Why did Benny suddenly make himself vulnerable? It's because I honored his resistance and saw the value in what appeared to be a very painful thought. You could argue that it was a deep form of empathy because I saw where he was coming from and didn't try to fix or rescue him. Like I try to do in most of my past relationships. The paradoxical cost-benefit analysis is not a gimmick to manipulate somebody. It has to be done respectfully. I really did like Benny, and he could sense it. Even when you're working with someone who seems to be hard and violent, the use of respect, compassion, and acceptance can sometimes be surprisingly powerful. I mean, I've been knew that my whole goddamn life, and I didn't write a goddamn book. Actually, I did. It's called Fucked. I wrote half of it. Of course, a paradoxical cost-benefit analysis will not provide a sudden cure for someone like Benny who has severe problems involving drug dealing and drug abuse, as well as depression, but at least it provided a chance for us to connect in a very real way. And for people with less severe problems, a paradoxical cost-benefit analysis can often be the best, the first step into lasting change. I mean, goddamn. You know? If you're feeling hopeless, okay, oh, this, I want to read this section too. If you're feeling hopeless, because this, that, that story also puts it into perspective for when I'm talking to a friend and they're telling me they're upset, like, just fucking listen. Don't try to fix it. 
I'm mainly talking to myself, but if you do that, just stop it. If you're feeling hopeless, but you're not as oppositional as Benny, you might find that a straightforward cost-benefit analysis might be more effective for you. First, look over the negative thoughts in your daily mood journal, if you keep it. Just look over a negative thought, a negative belief that you tell yourself, any cognitive distortion that you say to yourself in your head. Uh, and see see if any of them involve fortune telling. Like, I'm a loser, I'll never, I'll, I'm hopeless is perfect. I'll never have the career I want. I'll never, whatever. You don't know that, bitch. You haven't lived it yet. These are thoughts that you're uh, hopeless and that things will never get better. Then list advantages of telling yourself that you're hopeless in the left-hand column of the cross-benefit analysis chart. Here are some advantages you might want to include. So here are some advantages if, if hopelessness is what you feel. Here are some examples of advantages that you can come up with. Hopelessness will protect me from disappointment. And ain't that the goddamn truth. So that's why a lot of us cling to it. My hopelessness is based on the fact that since medi- medication and psychotherapy have not been helpful for me, I'm still depressed. Oh, I was based in the fact that. Yeah. You know, I've been to my therapist's office many times. I'm pretty sure I've uh, echoed this story of uh, ad nauseum on the podcast. But uh, when I came in and had a panic attack and I was like, you see? And she's like, OK, let's calm down. And I'm like, I don't want to calm down. I was resisting the fuck out of it. But the reason why we got to the bottom of it is why I didn't want to come down is because, and this is to rewind to your childhood, when I come down, bad things happen. When I'm not looking at mommy and looking at what mood she's in and I'm not extremely aware of her every fucking move and the way she talks, then I don't know what mommy I'm getting. If I'm hopeless, then I can give up and won't have to keep trying or banging my head against the wall. So there's some, and now list some disadvantages of telling yourself that you're hopeless. Here's some examples of them. If I tell myself I'm hopeless, these are disadvantages, then I'll give up and things won't change. That's a good one. Just because I feel something very strongly doesn't make it true. Woo, feelings are facts, bitch. I may become suicidal. If I try to end my life, then it will have a devastating impact on the people who love me. What should you do if the advantages are greater or if it's a 50-50 standoff? In that case, you probably won't be motivated to challenge your belief. But that doesn't mean you are hopeless. It just means you feel hopeless and you may even want to feel hopeless. Well, fuck you. Maybe I do, bitch. And like Benny, you may have lots of really good reasons for feeling that way. In that case, it would be important to seek treatment with a mental health professional. Um... Yeah, the disadvantages of hopelessness are greater. If the disadvantages of hopelessness are greater, oh, so the disadvantages, so it's better for you to not be hopeless, then you might want to do some work challenging your belief that things will never change. Okay. Wait, I got to turn the page, y'all. Give me a second. Okay. Okay. Now, this is the last little tricky. I'm going to read you. Positive reframing. Oh, this story gets me. Oh, this story had me in goddamn tears. Sometimes trying to fight back against fortune telling with evidence and logic doesn't work. This was the case with a woman I once worked with, Keisha, who was absolutely certain that she was hopeless. And she felt like she had uh, concrete, irrefutable proof, too. This case may also interest you because it highlights one of my rather frequent therapeutic errors. Goddamn, I love a man who admits his errors. Keisha was a severely depressed medical student at the University of Pennsylvania. That's where my sperm goes. She reached out to me and wanted to know if I could refer her to a therapist to use the techniques in my first book, Feeling Good. She explained that she'd been treated for depression for 20 years with medication and psychotherapy, but nothing had helped. 20 years, bitch. I told Keisha I had many excellent clinicians to recommend, but wondered if she was aware that I treated medical students for free as part of my volunteer work for the Department of Psychiatry. Oh, you're such a good person, Daddy Burns. I told her I didn't know if it'd be I'd be the best fit for her, but we could at least uh, at least she couldn't have uh, beat the price. <laughs> Keisha said she'd love to work with me. I told her there are two unusual things about the way I work, and I wanted to make sure she was cool with it. First, well, I, I'm paraphrasing. First, I explained that I wasn't being paid. I didn't care how long our sessions lasted. Because of that, I typically worked with patients until their symptoms improved dramatically or disappeared entirely. And that usually required an extended two-hour session or sometimes longer. Second, I told Keisha that she'd have to do homework in between sessions and that this was not negotiable. Keisha said she'd be fine with both requirements, but that she thought I was crazy if I thought I could cure her in a single session since she really was a hopeless case. I explained that nearly all depressed patients feel hopeless. 
but this feeling results from cognitive distortions. Keisha insisted this wasn't true in her case and that she really was hopeless. I asked Keisha why she was so sure. She explained to me that when she was young, she'd experienced horrific abuse from her brothers and was still tormented by the memories. She had the abuse. She said the abuse certainly wasn't any kind of cognitive distortion. And she's right. In addition, she explained that there was only one thing she ever wanted in life, a baby, but it could never happen. In the first place, she was 40 and didn't have a boyfriend. Well, you never know. But on top of that, she had a gynecological problem that would make it impossible for her to conceive. She explained that she was uh, was first in her medical school class and that everyone thought she had everything. Her research had been published in some of the world's top scientific journals, but all of those accomplishments meant nothing to her since she could never have the one thing she ever wanted, which was a baby. Keisha arrived at my house on a Saturday morning for her session, and I gave her a brief mood survey, which was not surprisingly indicated severe depression, anxiety, and anger. I was still determined to do a stellar job, and we had what I thought was a tremendous session. I showed her how to crush her distorted negative thoughts and figured we'd make a warm and trusting connection. The session took about two hours, as I anticipated, and I was convinced her depression was gone. As you know, I asked patients to repeat the mood survey at the end of the session, and I also asked them to rate me on empathy and helpfulness. Keisha was happy to complete the end of session survey and did so in front of me. When I looked at her scores, I was shocked. Her mood had not improved, but had gotten even worse. Her depression, anger, and anxiety scores had increased from the severe range to the extreme range. She also gave me failing grades on empathy and helpfulness. Yikes. He says yikes a lot. (laughs) So cute. I felt embarrassed and ashamed since not only had I failed big time, but I hadn't even realized it. I told Keisha I was disappointed, but perhaps we could pinpoint the mistakes I made so I could try to be more effective at our next session. I told her that I thought I'd made two mistakes. First, instead of listening to how terrible her childhood had been and encouraging her to vent, I jumped in too quickly to try to help. Second, I tried to convince her that she wasn't hopeless instead of listening and perhaps finding the wisdom in her hopelessness. Ah! This book will make you a better goddamn listener. I'll tell you that. Sorry, I'm drinking my coffee with heroin in it from Penny. Thanks, boy. She nodded. Both mistakes were true. I said that if she'd be open to trying again, I'd try to correct these errors the next time we met. She was fine with that. I find that most patients are very gracious and generous if I admit my mistakes in the spirit of improving the treatment. Well, yeah, because you're being a nice and you're not being a little shithead brickhead. It's my new word. At the next session, I used a lot more empathy without trying to help while Keisha described the horrors of her childhood and cried a lot. After, um, after a while, I asked her to close her eyes so we could travel back in time to her childhood and she could tell me what she saw. She described being curled up in the fetal position in her bedroom crying after her brothers had beat her up. She reported feeling alone, unloved, worthless, like there was no one to support her, not even her parents. I told Keisha that this little girl needed love and support, and I asked if she could walk into that room and tell herself what she needed to hear when she was little. To tell that little girl that she was loved and worthwhile, and that the abuse was not her fault. I didn't even get beat up on my brother, this is so goddamn sad. But I got beat up by my mom. Okay, this was a dramatic and emotional moment for Keisha. And after lots more tears, she seemed to be feeling a bit more relaxed. Then I asked Keisha if we could uh, take today's session in the opposite direction of what I did last time. Instead of arguing against her hopelessness, I asked if we could list some advantages of feeling hopeless, as well as what her hopelessness showed about her that was positive and awesome. Keisha said she couldn't think of any positive things about her hopelessness. Can you see? See if you can list a few things about her hopelessness before you read the thing. And I did. I wrote down, she can never be disappointed. She she values love and caring people because obviously she didn't get that from her brothers. So she values like a healthy family. And then I wrote, she knows what happens to her was wrong. <laughs> did I get it right? If I didn't, then I'm a failure. I told Keisha I thought there were, in fact, quite a few really good things about her hopelessness. For example, her hopelessness might protect her from disappointment if it turned out that I couldn't help her. Ding, ding, ding. I win. Her hopelessness might also be realistic since she'd had two decades of treatment from experts who hadn't been able to help. uh, Keisha agreed and seemed to brighten up immediately, and she put both of these qualities at the top of her list of positives. She then began to come up with a lot more things to add to her list. For example... Her hopelessness was a form of intellectual uh, skepticism that showed her capacity to doubt and challenge claims that people make. Didn't come up with that. That's a good one. 
Her intense depression also showed her passion and commitment to her dream of being a mother and having a baby. I suggested that her suffering might also make her more compassionate with her own patients when she completed her training, especially if she went into psychiatry, but also in any branch of medicine. She added that to her list as well. Together, we came up with more than 10 positive things that her hopelessness and extreme depression. It was pretty impressive. Given all of the benefits, I told Keisha I now realized how ridiculous I must have sounded last week when I was trying to talk her out of her hopelessness. I told her maybe this was something we shouldn't be working on. When I said that to Keisha, I became Keisha's subconscious resistance, like with Benny, and allowed my helpful self to die. Although Keisha was not at all like Benny, this was a similar moment. I was looking at all the good reasons not to change, which allowed her to let go of her stuckness. In response, Keisha uh, said she did want to work on feeling, not feeling hopeless anymore. And that's a good thing, y'all. You gotta want that. She wanted to recover from her depression, and that required letting go of her hopelessness. She said she was ready for these tools I had mentioned and wanted to get to work. I put out a daily mood journal and asked Keisha to write down her negative thoughts. She quickly identified the distortions in them and then suggested a really aggressive method. I suggested a really aggressive method called externalization of voices. This method, externalization of voices, is one of the most powerful techniques I've ever developed. You, in this case me, and another person, in this case Keisha, take turns role-playing. Oh, I forgot, you know what? Feeling good did this role-playing. And I was like, well, that's powerful. Role-playing of that person's negative thoughts and that person's positive thoughts. In this role-play, I assumed the role of Keisha's negative thoughts and spoke in the second person, meaning using the words you. Keisha played the role of her positive thoughts and spoke of the fir- in the first person, I. I explained to Keisha that my job in this role play was to attack her with her own negative thoughts and her job as the positive, self-loving version of herself was to defeat me using the self-defense techniques, the acceptance paradox, or a combination of both. I told her we'd do role reversals until Keisha could knock it out of the park. Partial victories are not enough when you're using this incredibly powerful technique. Keisha was up for that, so I started to verbalize the negative thoughts she recorded in her mood journal. Keisha rose to the occasion and ripped me to shreds. She was actually way more intelligent than I was. And the moment she decided to defend herself, turned she turned into a fighter. It was a joy to behold. And it went something like this. So David is the negative voice. Keisha is her own positive stuff. David, face it, you're hopeless. No one has been able to help you. Keisha, well, the treatments I've had have not been effective. But that doesn't mean this treatment or future treatments won't be effective. This treatment is new to me and very different from endlessly taking pills and complaining about the past. I asked who won the exchange and Keisha said that the positive Keisha had a huge win. So I attacked her again. David, negative voice. Well, that might be true, but the only thing that could ever make you happy is having a baby. But you have no boyfriend and it's uh, physiologically impossible for you to have a baby. So you'll always be miserable. Things really are hopeless, and that's a plain fact. That's not a distortion. Oh, that's rude, but I get what he was saying. He was using her own words against her, but... Goddamn, Doc. Kick her while she's down, why don't you? This method should be the, let me kick you while you're down. But it's a role play. And then Keisha's response to this is, Well, I would have certainly loved to have a husband and a baby, but I have been happy at times, especially when I've been absorbed in my research. And sometimes I've been extremely happy when I've been hanging out with friends. So it simply isn't true that I need to have a baby to feel happy she said she won this exchange as well i hit her with the rest of her negative thoughts but she blew them away out of the water really quickly it only took a few minutes why did it happen so fast because she's taking adderall no okay it's because her resistance was gone once that barrier to recovery has been removed a powerful self-loving voice emerged i'm convinced that you also have a powerful, self-loving voice within you, and I'm hoping you'll let it emerge while you're reading this book. The entire session took a little less than two hours. At the end, Keisha's depression and anger scores had dropped to zero, and she gave me perfect scores on empathy and helpfulness too. She said she was flooded with feelings of joy and relief. Keisha came in for one final session the next week for relapse prevention training, after which I never saw her again as a patient, though I often wondered how she was doing. A year and a half later, I got an email from Keisha. She wrote, I decided to contact you since you might be wondering how I'm doing. Well, I'm still on a high, and although it might sound impossible, I'm even happier today than the day I completed my treatment with you. If you look at the photos I've attached, I think you'll understand why. 
god, I'm already crying. I opened the first photo and it was her wedding party. Very cool. <laughs> He's oh, Daddy Burns, very cool. We from the '80s. I was so happy for her. When I opened the second photo, tears came to my eyes. It was a picture of Keisha holding her newborn baby in her arms. There was a note attached to this photo that read, Dr. Burns, you were right after all. Sometimes hopelessness really is a distortion. That was mind-blowing. But what was even uncannier was that I ran into Keisha the next day at the psychiatric resident's lounge. Keisha was standing in the lounge next to her husband with her baby in her arms. Apparently, she was applying to our residency program. I was excited to see her. She turned to her baby and said, I'd like you to meet Dr. Burns. You need to thank him for your existence. Oh, God damn. No, just let him cry. No, I'm fine. Fuck you. You're crying, you little bitch. You little pussy ass bitch. You're fucking crying because Keisha got all the life that she wanted and she deserves all the happiness in the goddamn world. But I will say this story. Oh, so beautiful. It relates to this Joe Dispenza shit that I will be getting into after Feel Your Feelings January. Don't you worry, boo-boos. But it relates to itself. That law of attraction, that manifesting stuff. You can scientifically prove that manifesting is possible. Like there's scientific evidence, okay? You know how like the ice caps are melting? Oops, we should figure that out. But also you could channel whatever you want. So... But you have to be in this right mind frame. You have to be in a state of elevated emotion. One of the things that Joe Dispenza said was if you meditate in an elevated state of emotion for 10 minutes a day, shit will start changing for you. And an elevated emotion, as I repeated and will continue to repeat, happiness, joy, gratitude. Gratitude's the best. But look at that. Look at that shit, huh? That's pretty cool. I'm so glad you didn't kill yourself, guys, because you wouldn't have heard any of that. And that's good stuff. Because a lot of people want to kill themselves. I I have been one of them many times. Many, many times. You know, life's a bitch. But you look in the mirror, motherfuckers. That's all you have. And that ain't a bad thing. That's a motherfucking good thing. Okay? I love you. Stay safe. I will talk to you next Wednesday. Bye.